Book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> Look at verse 25 again, though. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. How do law and liberty come together? When we actually do the word, law and liberty meet for us. And it's liberty. It's not, it's not a case of bondage. It's liberty. But it is the perfect law of liberty. He being not a forgetful hero, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And we, we're born with a rebellious nature. We're born with a nature that stands against doing uh, what we're told to do, really in any uh, area of life. And when it comes to the word of God, it translates there. And we have a difficulty actually taking and applying it and doing it. But when we do we find great blessing in our lives. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at actually doing the word and why we need to do the word. We may spend two weeks looking at it. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless. Father, would you bless us now, Lord? Would you work in hearts and lives? Would you show us your presence and your power? And Lord, let us understand, Lord, that it's not in our power to do it, but that, Lord, by your power we can. And I will thank and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so... Walking in wisdom or doing the word. Our knowledge objectives. <clears throat> Explain the role of the Holy Spirit in your obedience to God. Can you obey God, i.e. keep the word in your own power? Can you? Who's saying? Who's answering? No, we, ultimately, we can't. Now, we can make a stab at it. We can do better than we used to be. But ultimately, we can't keep the word in our own power. And we need to understand that, that God did not lay out the word for us and tell us that we have to do it in our own power. We don't. What happens is when you're trying to do it in your own power, you get to the place where it's, 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 it's a hard grind. And it's not fun. Christianity isn't fun. And you really don't make Christianity look like fun for anybody else either. So what you need to do is you need to understand that when we talk about applying the word, we're not going to do it in our own power. It's not going to be possible in our power, right? <clears throat> understand that biblical, biblical obedience is not compliance with a rule, but a submissive response to a person. We're back to our idea of relationship. It's not compliance with a rule. In some senses, we like rules because we can tick the rules off and say we, we got them. But <clears throat> biblical um, obedience is actually... Uh, our submissive response to the person of the Holy Spirit. And understand that biblical endurance is fueled by our relationship with God. What does endurance mean? Hanging in there. Depending upon God and hanging in there. That's what it means. It means uh, uh, the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. It's having patience, hanging in there, and enduring. And explain how the hearing and doing are the hallmarks of mature, of mature Christianity. Hearing and doing are our hallmarks of our mature Christianity. Now, we want to be mature Christians. 
but hearing and doing are the marks of it. You know, you can go all kinds of places and hear different uh, deals as far as maturity is concerned. Maturity is, you know, how many times I've read through the Bible, maturity is what, what, what gifts I have. Maturity is I've spoken in tongues or whatever else. Now listen, the hallmarks of maturity are hearing and doing the word. You can, listen, you can have everything else and pretend all the rest of it, but that, those are going to be the hallmarks of maturity for you. An application objectives respond by becoming increasingly sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. Now, what does that mean? Becoming increasingly sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. Is the Holy Spirit constantly speaking? The question is, are we sensitive to it? He doesn't speak with a big stick. He speaks with a still small voice. And it's up to us to respond. And the more we respond, the more we hear. The more sensitive our hearing gets. Respond by turning to God for help to obey and endure. Right? So that when we have troubles, when we have difficulties, we can't do it by ourselves. We turn to God for help to obey. And respond by reflecting Christ to others around you by your servanthood. That's a key thought for us tonight, servanthood. That issue of being a servanthood. We'll catch it. Okay, so walking in wisdom. The master discipline of doing. Doing versus being. The Holy Spirit is the key player. So we're talking about doing. um, We're talking about actually doing the work because we're being. And the Holy Spirit is the key player in in all of what we're trying to do. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, what's that saying to us? Let's get ourselves thinking here tonight. What's that saying to us? How do you avoid sin in your life? How do you avoid sin in your life? Okay. Let me ask you this, right? You know, we, we, we talk about this regularly, and I, when, when the science says don't walk on the grass, what do you want to do? Right. You see... Uh, it's not about you focusing on what you're not going to do. If you focus on what you're not going to do, uh, you're not going to be very successful, number one, but it's going to be a grind. The focus is not the negative don't do. The focus is on hearing the Holy Spirit walking in him. So what it's saying here is the way to deal with the lust of the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. And that's talking about relationship. That's talking about <clears throat> your relationship with him, that his power enables you not to walk in the flesh. And there's no other way for you. You're never going to achieve true Christianity, real Christianity, in the power of what you can do. It's impossible. It's about walking in the spirit. Because um, <clears throat> the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one to the other so that she cannot do the things that she would. You're not able now, what does that do to us, by the way? What does it do to you when I say to you, you're not able? Instantly, there's a rise of pride, isn't there? I'll show you. Of course I'm able. That, but we're not. And we really have to humbly accept that I can't. Now, God won't knock us down because we decide we're able. He just lets us keep pushing and trying and pushing and trying to we come to the place where we say, we're not able, Lord, will you help me? 
and then he steps in. That's a key thought for us. That's a key issue for us to get in our heads. It's not a case of what I can do. I can't do any of it. It's a case of me understanding that I need him uh, to do it at all. The master discipline of doing. The divine help from God is called grace. Right. So what does grace mean? Grace is a, grace is a word you need to have a, de- a definition of in your head. Right? <clears throat> Most of you have heard, um, <clears throat> God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's true. Right? <clears throat> but that doesn't go far enough. Because it leaves us with a, with a tidy little um, <clears throat> phrase in our heads. What does grace mean? Okay, supernatural enabling power. Supernatural enabling power to do what? To serve God. To serve God? What else? To overcome sin. To overcome the lusts of the flesh. We are looking at supernatural enabling power to do that which we cannot do. Right? Now, it's there. It's available to us. <clears throat> um, Paul was told, my grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace is sufficient. There's enough in the reservoir for your problems, your issues, and your difficulties today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. <clears throat> but it's God's supernatural enabling. And you need to reckon on supernatural. If I can do it myself, there's no need for supernatural. All right? If I can do it myself, why do I need Grace. Why am I going to go looking for grace if I'm able myself? I'm not able, therefore I go to him looking for grace. So the divine help is called grace. The basic discipline of obedience. Um, Biblical obedience is not just compliance to some abstract law or rule. It's the submissive response to the person of the Holy Spirit who has revealed the will of God to us through his word. Now let me read you uh, something from Jim Berg here on this. He has a habit of actually putting things down in a way that, that, that's really helpful to us. And he talks about um, this guy, John, who has a problem with lying, right? And um, he's constantly lying, and he's trying to stop lying, and he's not able to stop lying. Now, it could be any sin. doesn't matter what it is. But it can be any sin. And he's, he's tried and failed, and he's tried and failed. Well, a couple of things he needs to reckon on. He needs to reckon on the relationship aspect of it. If you love somebody, do you purposefully do something that's going to cause them bother? Do you? No, you don't. Right? You, you try and avoid that. You know, if somebody's allergic to some, but something, you know, well, you try and avoid that. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they're allergic to daisies, well, you're hardly going to bring them home a bunch of daisies. You know? <clears throat> That, you know, you're not going to get a very good response if you, if you know that. You're going to avoid those things that, 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 that somebody's going to be upset by and hurt by. And if we have a relationship with God, when it comes to doing right, the, the issue for us is we don't want to grieve him. We don't want to hurt him. Now, that's powerful. Now, where is that born? Where is that desire not to hurt him born? Where, where, where does it come from? Okay, everything comes out. Isn't that love for him? Where does our love for him come from? Okay, we love him because he first loved us. Not understanding, failing to comprehend his love for us is going to leave us with a, with a poor relationship with him. The more you understand his love for you, 
the deeper, the sweeter, and the more blessed your relationship with him is going to be. Right? So we love him because he first loved us. So, but because we love him, because he loves us and we love him, we don't want to grieve him. So when it comes down to it, what we're going to do is, John should not want to lie, not because it's just a sin, but because it's a grief, it's an offense against the Holy God. It's something against his nature, because God is truth. And he doesn't want to lie. So, so he, he plays out the scenario. and he, Here's the prayer he has John praying, right? Dear God, you are so patient with me. You have watched me lie over and over again, and you have not dealt with me harshly for my violating of your very nature of truth. You have faithfully convicted me by your Holy Spirit. I know I have grieved you by deception. Forgive me for my selfish concern for my own image. I want to be concerned only about how I portray the image of Christ to others through my life. I will need the help of your Holy Spirit to renew my mind as I meditate upon Ephesians 4.15 and 25 and other passages about your hatred for lying and deception. May he enlighten my heart with an understanding of your ways. Continue to convict me by your Spirit and help me to be sensitive to his conviction. Help me to speak the truth at all times, no matter what the cost. Help me to be willing to deny everything, including a good image before others, in order not to deny you what is rightfully yours, a life that represents you well. Help me to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's a a mouthful. The heart of the thing is, though, that he's getting to relationship here. Lord, I've grieved you by what I've done. I don't want to grieve you. Lord, help me. I will need your help. I'm not able not to grieve you. And there's humility involved. In it. Now, by the way, in dealing with children, we need to be careful that we don't just stop children lying because lying is wrong, the Bible says so, and that's it. Right? Because what happens for the child is the child goes up with rules, but they don't grow up with a relationship. They need to understand that lying is an offense against God, that God gets upset by it. And they need to understand that, that, that because it upsets God, it's wrong. And they need to understand they need his help in order to overcome it. But it's a big issue. Lying is always a big issue. Lying is always a big issue. Right? Make sure your children know that, listen, <clears throat> whatever they do, the punishment is always going to be much more if they lie. They have to know that. They have to understand that. Because lying is not just an offense against you, which it is, because they like to get out of trouble. Lying is an offense against the Holy God. So there's going to be dealt with much more severely. <clears throat> so, But what, what he's got here with John is he's got John recognizing the offense in the relationship and recognizing that <clears throat> he's not able to help himself. He's not able to do it. And so therefore what you've got is you've got John coming to the place where he is dealing with it all the way. Now, let me ask you. <clears throat> Well, say you were to pray a prayer like that. Lord, I am sorry I have grieved you. I know I've grieved you. I know you've been very patient. But I've really grieved you in this thing. And Lord, I don't want to grieve you. I want things sweet and right between us. Lord, will you help me? I need you to help me with your Holy Spirit as I meditate upon your word so that I'm not doing this anymore. Do you think God would hear that prayer? You got sure God would hear that prayer. That's the kind of prayer that God would hear. Um, this kind of humility reflected in John's prayer shows itself in three ways. John it was repentant. Right? He knew he needed God's forgiveness. He was repentant. He recognized the sin was against God. That's often the step we don't take in sin. My sin is against you, God. And he was repentant. Um, 
He was submissive. He knew he needed to subject himself to God and his ways. And he was dependent. He knew that he couldn't resist sin effectively without supernatural help. At that moment of repentant, submissive, dependent humility, John received God's attention and assistance. The Holy Spirit was pleased, not grieved. The Spirit of God was now free to give John the power he needed since he no longer needed to resist John any longer. Right? Now, what does the word say about um, the Holy Spirit resisting us? Who does God resist? Could we say that as long as John was defending himself in his sin, he was proud? What happens when John is proud? The Spirit of God, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Now, it's second nature for us to actually, um, you know, defend ourselves in our sin. But as long as we defend ourselves in our sin, there's no grace available to us. We've just shut off the the avenue of grace. It's kind of like this. We we have a well up at our house. And um, if the power goes out anywhere in our house, it will trip the switch to the pump that pumps the water out of the well, right? And so there's no water. Uh, Alan texted me yesterday and asked me where the water was. There was no water around. And the reason was because the well had gotten tripped. So there's no water available because there's no power going to the pump. When you sin and don't recognize it as sin and aren't repentant of it, what you do is you effectively trip the switch on grace and there's no grace flowing in your life. And you've got to get repentant. You've got to come down. There's no good in you you going along and defending it. Listen, you've got all kinds of reasons that are legitimate in your mind for sin. We always do. But there's no point in you coming to God with your legitimate reasons. What you've got to do is you've got to come repentantly. Lord, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. And it's wrong because it grieves you. And what's more, Lord, I'm not able. Lord, would you help me by your spirit? Enable me. I want to get this right, but Lord, I'm not able. Would you help me? And then you're listening out for the Holy Spirit. You're depending upon him to do it. Right? And, um, And God will help. You can depend upon it that God's going to step in and God's going to help you at that time because what's happening is you're putting yourself in the right place. And remember, because it's a love relationship, what you're doing here is you're healing the hurt. I mean, you can grieve somebody, right? You're going to get it wrong. You can grieve somebody. And um, when you come with a full apology, repentance, asking forgiveness, you know, unless there are extraordinary circumstances in the situation, you're going to get it. Now, when it comes to your relationship with God... When you won't actually come to the place of repentance over having hurt him, what you're doing is you're loving yourself. You're loving yourself, you're loving your image, you're loving whatever it is about you, and you're not dealing with it before him. But when you come to the place of repentance, what you're doing is you turn it around and you're loving him. And you're depending upon him. And listen, he is going to answer it for you. He is going to help you. In that sense. Now, by the way, how is he going to help you? Let's look at the dynamic of this. How does God help you at that point? So you come to the place where you say, oh, look, I'm sick and tired of being a liar. I'm sick and tired uh, <clears throat> doing that. Lord, I know it's grieving you, and I don't want to be grieving you anymore. But Lord, I've been doing it all my life. I'm not able. Lord, would you help me? Would you, would you through your Holy Spirit, show me a better way? Well, what's going to happen then? What do you think is going to happen? What's God going to do in your life? Just forgive you and let you carry on lying. No, he gives you an enabling grace. Give you an enabling. How? Obstacles. Pardon? 
He helps you. Okay, how is he going to help you? Okay, here's the thing. Opportunity comes for you to lie again. Necessity for you to lie again. The Spirit of God will say, don't do this. Many of you have had that experience where the Spirit of God said, don't do that. This is real. This is real. You have a relationship with him, and he's going to step in, he's going to say, no, don't do this. Now, what are your choices there? Go with them or against You resist, right? Or you humble yourself and go with. Now, what happens when you resist? Pardon? Okay, well, that's... What happens when you resist the Holy Spirit? I mean, you're right in what you're saying. You're right, okay? This is just a different angle. What happens when you're resisting the Holy Spirit? When you're saying no to him? When you're ignoring him? You're resisting God. You're proud. God resists you. So here's what happens, right? You know, you've made the commitment. I'm not going to lie anymore, right? I'm not going to... Okay, Lord, please forgive me. I need your help. Lord, show me. And I, Lord, I want to be different. I need your help, right? And so you're, you're walking along. Opportunity comes to lie again. <clears throat> Necessity is laid upon you as far as your old life is concerned to lie. And the Spirit of God says, don't do this. And you say, I have to. And you do it anyway. You know what it looks like? It looks like there's no grace available, and there's not. There's no power available there for you. But if you in your heart say, Lord, I don't want to do it. Help me. And you cry out in that moment, he will deliver you. You'll be amazed at the help that comes into your life. It's not a case of you coming to that moment and then you by your own grim determination not doing it. It's in that moment there's supernatural power available to you. God makes a way of escape. God makes a way out for you. But you've got to cry out to him in it. You've got to be wanting it. There's no point in you being in the place where you're just, um, you know, uh, letting it be. You've, You've got to go with him on it. You see, you either side with you against God or you side with God against you. When you side with God against you, there's power available to you. Now, All of you will have done this at some point if you're a believer. At some point you'll have done this and found supernatural power. Because Christianity is supernatural. It's not about uh, us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing it. And, but when, when, when you fail of the grace of God, in other words, you don't, you don't take the grace, you go your own way and do your own thing, what it feels like is there's no power. Yeah, I've tried that. It doesn't work. No, it works. It always works. It never fails. But this thing called a free will steps into it. And you can either choose to go God's way on it or you can choose to go your way on it. But you need to choose to go God's way on it. Always choose to go his way on it. So that's the basic discipline of obedience. It's not just compliance with an abstract law or a rule. It's the submissive response to the person of the Holy Spirit who has revealed the will of God to us through his word. So the Spirit of God reveals it to you, and you do it. And by the way, that's not just lying. That's any sin you like. Any area you like. By the way, <clears throat> there's never grace available for it if you don't call it sin. If you have to do it, there's no grace available for it. 
If it's just the way you are, there's no grace available for it. If it's just the way life is, there's no grace available for it. But when you recognize this is sin, this is wrong. Now, and by the way, this is something that goes on beneath all the surface, right? This is something you can't see uh, in somebody's life. And, you know, it gets very confusing to us. You know, why does Christianity fail for some people? And some people seem to get it. This is why. This is the reality. This is the real deal. What happens in the inner man in those moments of temptation is what makes you a failure or a success as far as Christianity is concerned. Now, obviously, it gets more complex, but that's what happens. And if you're failing in those inner moments, you're failing in your Christianity, and it may not be showing on the outside, but it will eventually. Because you get sick and tired of living a lie. You get sick and tired of playing a game. You know, it's not working for you, but the reason it's not working for you is because you're not availing of the power. Like up in our house. Listen, the water doesn't work, the, you can't flush the loo, you can't have a shower, you can't do anything. Why? Because there's no water available, because the switch is tripped. Put the tr- switch right again, and listen, everything flows again. There is grace available in your life. Don't trip the switch. And when you do, get it right. Fix it again. Right? <clears throat> okay. A love relationship is at the heart of obedience. It's that love relationship. I want to please him. I want his smile. I want him to be pleased with me. That love relationship is at the heart of our obedience. The basic discipline of endurance. Endurance is continued obedience to God even under pressure. Continued obedience to God even under pressure. There will be pressure in your life. Uh, that's just a reality, and it's continued obedience to God even when you're under pressure, right? Now, um, some of you can obey in the nice bright day. When everything's going your way, obedience is not too bad, it's not too hard. But when the hard day comes and the pressure is on, then you feel, well, I just couldn't. It was too hard today. It's never too hard. If you're looking at the situation and saying it was too hard today, Whose power are you looking at? Your own power. Your power is going to fail. It's always going to fail. You can't do this thing. You know, God's power never fails. My grace is sufficient to thee. It's enough. There's enough of it available. There's enough of God's grace available. So what you've got to do is you've got to reckon in the hard day when you're under pressure... You're still going to obey. Right? Now we'll look at that more as we go along. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Right? Now, what we're talking about there is Jesus Christ coming into the world. Becoming a man. Was that a step down for him? Huge step down for him. Just becoming a man. In fact, if Jesus had stepped out of heaven and stepped into a position as king of the world and ruler of everything and sat on the, on the greatest throne the world has ever seen, it would still have been a step down. So he's stepping down. <clears throat> um, he, he thought enough robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. 
Um, he humbled himself and became obedient. So he became obedient. And that's a key thought for us, this idea of obedience. Now, obedience is not me grimly doing what I'm told. Obedience is me recognizing there's power available for me to obey. It's me recognizing there is supernatural power to do it. Sometimes you've got Christians who are trying to shove the car along the road and there's no petrol in it. Put some petrol in the tank. uh, Start the engine. And listen, you don't have to shove the car anymore. It's running by itself. And we understand that our obedience is based upon a relationship, not based upon our grim determination. Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right? So servanthood, then, is grown-up Christianity. If you want to know what it is to be Christ-like, we've just read it. He got off himself, off what he wanted. He came down to earth. He became obedient, even to the place of dying on the cross. And God has exalted him for it. But he yielded all of that. Christ-likeness would be evidenced by doing for others and by submission to authority. Look at Ephesians 5.18. Right? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Quite an interesting thought today. You know, when it's talking about being filled with the Spirit, uh, it's not so much talking about the fullness of the glass as it's talking about the control of the Spirit. Right? <clears throat> that we're supposed to be being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the problem with being controlled by the Holy Spirit? By the way, it's not a case of you getting the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the problem. The problem is you have to give up doing what you want to do. You have to give up having it your own way. You can't go to Burger King anymore, right? You know, Burger King, they, the, 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 the big advertisement campaign was have it your way. They would, they would cook your, your, your burger for you exactly as you want. Well, you have to give up having it your own way. Now, that's tough, isn't it? That is tough for us. Why is that tough for us? Because our own way makes us so happy. Hang on, does it? (laughs) No, it promises to, but it never delivers. Getting your own way doesn't really work for you. Right? You know, getting your own way doesn't actually work. What we got to do is we got to give up our own way in favor of His way, and His way is better, far better. But there's a decision of faith in there. And by the way, the capacity of the human heart to find its own way and to develop strategies for getting its own way is just incredible. You know, we're good at it. We're good at finding legitimate means for getting our own way. Now, your own way is the death of you. It always was, but particularly as a Christian. 
Getting your own way is a killer. It's a killer. It's, go- it's going to do you in. Now, when we look at being Christians and we look at being Christ-like, <clears throat> we're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, and being like him. I want to give you some verses here that we're going to read, right? Okay. <clears throat> Let me start. Where will I start? I'll start on this side. Lena, would you read uh, John 4.34 for us? Vincent, if you'd get John 6.38. Julie, if you'd get John 8.29. Caroline, if you'd read John 8.49 through 50. Jer, if you could read John 9.4 and 5. Phil, if you would read for us John 10.17 and 18. And Dave, if you would read John 12, 27, and 28. Okay, so our first verse is John 4, 34. Alina, when you're ready. Okay, interesting passage. John chapter 4. Woman, woman at the well. The guys have gone off to get the dinner, get the lunch. Uh, they're all starving, ravenous, and they come back to give Jesus... Uh, something to eat, and he, he, they say, do you want something to eat? Do you want some lunch? Do you want a sandwich? And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Now, in the context, here's an interesting thought. Listen, food's important to us. It's pretty important to us. You know, take away our food and it's a hard day. <clears throat> you know, um, we don't die immediately, but we like eating. We, it's just part of life for us. It's pretty important. It sustains our lives, and it's part of the fun of life, the fact that we eat. Now, <clears throat> what Jesus is saying here is, my meat, that which satisfies me, is to do the will of him that sent me. Do you know there was never a moment when Jesus walked on this earth that he did his own will? He didn't do his own will. He wasn't about his own will. He constantly did the Father's will. That's what he was about. Again and again he tells us that. That he did his Father's will. All right, Vincent. John 6.38. 6.38. Yeah. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Okay, so I came down not to do my own will. I'm not doing my own will, not doing what I want. I'm doing the will of him that sent me. And that's what he did. Always. Let me ask you this. Think about it for a second. Can you think of any time when Jesus did his own thing? Now that's pretty incredible, isn't it? He never did his own thing. He always did what the Father wanted him to do. Even when you can't see it, he's doing what the Father wanted him to do. He's doing the Father's will. So we might say this about us. He was always yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, that's okay for him. He was God. That's a cop-out. Because you have God in you to enable you to be a Christian, which means yielding your will to the Father's will. That's, that's what's there for you, that you can yield your will to the Father's will. Okay, who's next? John eight forty nine and 50. Sorry, John 8, 29. Julie, 8, 29. 
Okay. So he spent his life on this planet pleasing the Father. I do always those things. By the way, if he hadn't, if for just one minute he had said, oh, this is too hard. I need to do my own thing for a while. What would have happened? Okay? We would have no salvation. Pretty serious stuff here. Just, just for once, if he had done that. You know, if, <clears throat> when he was hungry and Satan came and said to him, why don't you turn the stones into, into bread? That's no problem for you. you. You can do that. And he had done his own thing at that point, apart from the Father's will. Where was sunk? We were finished. He did the Father's will always. Now, we kind of think that it would be really burdensome, don't we? Don't we? We're going to think doing, the, doing, 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 doing somebody else's will. Man, that would be such a burden. But think about it. Isn't it your will that gets you in trouble? Isn't it what you want that causes the, the problems and the difficulties in your life? You see, God is never... We always have this idea that he's taken something good from us to replace it with nothing, or something hard or worse. But always, if we'll actually go with God, we'll find that what he's taking from us, he wants to replace with something better, because he loves us. And he doesn't just take something from us and leave us hanging there. He takes something from us and replaces it with something better. So when he's asking you to replace your will with his will, he's offering you something better. I, you might, I'm sure you've heard the story about the, the little girl who had the... Had the um, she had these, this necklace, plastic necklace, and it was her pride and joy. You know, a little girl, she just, she just loved this plastic necklace. And she, listen, it was, it was her favorite toy, her favorite thing to wear, and she would put it on. One day her daddy came into her and he said to her, can I have your necklace? I want you to trust me and give me your necklace. And she said, what are you going to do with it? And he said, I'm going to take it away. And she struggled with the necklace. And so he said, well, okay, look, I'll wait till you're ready. And so she went off with her little plastic necklace, and finally she decided she would trust Daddy. And she came and she gave up her plastic necklace, and he produced a string of pearls for her instead much better than our plastic necklace. That's what God's always doing in your life. God's always replacing your plastic with pearls. He doesn't ask you to do something just to make life hard for you. He asks you to do something, and if you're willing to do it, there's grace available, and what you find out at the other end of it is, this is far better. This is much better than what I had. All right, Caroline, John eight forty nine and 50. Okay, um, I seek not my own honor. Don't we seek our own honor? Don't we seek to be honored? Don't we seek to be in the place where people are honoring us for one reason or another? Jesus never did. By the way, was that a burden to him? That he never sought his own honor? Isn't it a burden? Burden trying to seek your own honor? Ever find out you get criticized even when you're doing right? And you're, and you're seeking your own honor? It's a losing game. Do you ever try and defend yourself when somebody's going after you? Every, t- every time you start defending yourself, you just make it worse. 
There's no way for you to protect your own honor. But when you seek his honor, that's a different thing. When you're all about him, I mean, what does it matter what they say about you? What does it matter what the criticism is when it's all about him? You see, again, what he's taking and what he's giving are not like we imagine. What he's giving is far better. By the way, Jesus was the freest human being that ever walked this planet. He wasn't looking for anything from anybody. It didn't matter how they treated him. It didn't matter how anybody treated him. He was free. But you know why he was free? Because he was all about the Father. He was all about the Father's will. He was doing what the Father wanted him to do. You can be free too. But it's when you come to the place where, where you're all about the Father. I, um, I seek not my own glory. Um, he wasn't out for his own glory. He was free. He was doing the will of the Father. All right. Um, Jur, is it next? All right. Yep, four and five. Okay, so I must work the works of who? Him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work his works. I must do his works. um, And that's what we're here for too. We're here to do his works. We're here to do what he wants us to do. And we've got to catch that thought. That's our purpose. That's our goal. And again, it's not, you know, that he's using us. It's that God has actually put us on, on, on this planet for a purpose. By the way, when you're doing your purpose, you're in great shape. When you're not doing your purpose, you're in trouble. All right. Um, Phil, next verse. John 10, 17 and 18. Okay, now, catch that. I am laying down my life. Nobody can take it from me. I am laying down my life. I have power to lay it down and take it again. This commandment have I from my father. The father said, die. And he said, okay, and he gave up the ghost and he died. We're talking about servant. uh, We're talking about somebody yielding themselves. Who is next? Dave, John 12, 27 and 28. Okay, so he, 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 he's about to die. Does he want to die? And now listen, he's the same as us. We don't want to give up ourselves and our own will. He's the same as us. He's come across something now where, you know, this is not easy. This is not his nature. This is not what he wants to do. 
we've come across something where he's looking at a situation and he doesn't want it. But he's not about his own will. He's yielding himself to the Father's will. He's doing what the Father wanted him to do. And he's saying, Father, glorify your name. This is my purpose. This is why I came. Glorify your name in me. Now, here's the thing for us. We want to be like Christ. We want to be servants. But this is what it takes to be a servant. Now, you can look at it and say, but that's death. And it is. But Jesus didn't stay dead and neither will you. There was a resurrection involved as well. There's grace. There's power involved as well. But you've got to get to the place where it's not about you. As long as it's about you, you're going to be in trouble. As long as it's about you and you're trying to get him on side to help you have your way, you're in trouble. It's got to come to the place where it's about him and you're depending upon him. And you're yielding yourself to him. And there's freedom, life, blessing. It's not about you. You see, obedience is the way of life. It's not just the way that the, of hardship. It's the way of life for us. And we've got to understand that, that it's, that it's his way and it's the way of life. It's the way of blessing for us. All right, then the basic discipline of endurance. Christ-like endurance is submission to the one who loved us most. most. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Actually, um, we've gotten there. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, endurance is the word, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? Where does Hebrews chapter 12 come in the Bible? After Hebrews chapter 11. What's Hebrews chapter 11 all about? Pardon? Yeah. The, the roll call of the heroes of the faith. You can go down through it, these long list of people. Now, these people in Hebrews chapter 11, whose will were they doing? Look there. Look, look at them for a second. What we'll do is we'll actually look at a couple of them right now and we'll leave and we'll come back to this next week, right? Right. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. All right? Let me ask you this. Noah's life's ambition. I want to build a boat. I want to spend 120 years building a boat. That's just what I've always dreamed about doing. There's nowhere for him to sail his boat. What's, what's he doing building a boat? He's never seen a boat. He's never seen it, uh, anything like this before. Was that Noah's will? No. That wasn't his will. Now, how did Noah endure? Because it's a long time. 120 years is a long time. Right? After the first week, he developed a bad attitude. And he continued in his bad attitude for the next 120 years. He wouldn't have made it. What did he do? How did he do this? How did he actually stay in the game 
for all that time to build the boat. What was it that he did? How did he how did he stay obeying for all that time? By the way, do you think that God came and said to him at the beginning of the building project, no, here's what I want you to do. This is the size of the boat. Put, you pitch it within and without and, and do the whole deal. And give me a shout when you're finished, no. Do you think that's what God did? God walked with them all the way through it. And if Noah hadn't walked with God, he'd have given up. Jim Berg puts it this way. <clears throat> He says, all the believers of Hebrews 11 kept their faces turned towards God for fellowship, comfort, and strength during times of difficulty. They rested in relationship. What did Jesus do when he was on this planet? Where did he go for comfort? Yeah, great while before day. He went off into a desert place to pray. Listen, Jesus' prayers and our prayers are not the same. Jesus went out for communion, for fellowship with his Father. Because that's where the strength lay. And that's just what we see outwardly. But the reality of it is that was going on all the time between him and the Father. There was relationship there. You know, when he needed comfort, he went to the Father. He certainly didn't find it in man. When he needed comfort, he went to the Father with him. The Father comforted him. The Father strengthened him. And the Father gave him fellowship. And that's what Noah did too. Can you imagine Noah after a hard day when people have just been ripping him apart and laughing at him and all the rest of it? and, And he's so fed up with the work and he goes to the Father. And the Lord comforts him. Did you ever do that? You should. Go to the Father and he will comfort you. He will comfort you in the struggle. Don't just bull it out. Don't just make it happen. Go to the Father. Remember one preacher said this, climb up in his lap and get a cuddle. He says, hang on, I'm a grown man. I don't need a cuddle from anybody. Listen, you do. Spiritually, you need. From time to time, just get with your Father. Just draw close to him. And let him comfort you and strengthen you. That's the only way to endure. You see, the Bible talks about failing of the grace of God. And bitterness, it's in Hebrews chapter 13, bitterness is failing of the grace of God. Right? Now, how do you fail of the grace of God? When you get bitter, you make a decision to go away from rather than to go towards And you fail of the grace. And it's easy for us to do. It's easy in the hard time for us to get to the place, you know, where where we fail the grace of God and we get bitter. It's not fair. God did this on me and it's not fair. Nobody else has to put up with it. It's just not fair. You know, nobody understands how I'm feeling. And we get bitter. And we fail of grace. And, you know, it puts the onus on us that we fail of grace. Grace doesn't fail. Grace is always there available to you. But when you turn away in the time of need, instead of coming boldly before the throne of grace, you fail of the grace. You see, the only way for you to live this Christian life is in close relationship with him. 
And you've got to make the, the, the hard spots press you closer, not further away. You've got to let the difficulties in your life actually draw you close to them because there's grace, there's help uh, there uh, when you have a need. Don't let those things pull you away from God. Let them be what actually draws you to God. All right, now let's pause it there, and we'll come back to it next week. Any questions on what we're looking at? Let me say this. We are looking at the nitty-gritty of the Christian life in terms of obedience now. You want to be changed into his image? It means obedience. But the dynamic is not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and doing it. The dynamic is this, that what you do is you step in, you let the Spirit of God have his way in your life, you yield to him under supernatural power, you lift, and you can walk in obedience. Pitfalls are, number one, you say, I can't. God never expected that you could. The fact that you can't makes you a good candidate for grace. If you think you can, then God will let you do it. You know, don't fall into the pitfall of saying, I can't. Listen, because God has told you to do it, you can. Second pitfall would be, listen, you rationalize your sin. Well, it's okay. It's only small. It's not a problem. <clears throat> That's a pitfall for you. That's going to kill you. There's no grace available if you don't think it's a problem. Third problem would be that <clears throat> you don't heed the Holy Spirit. That you ignore him. That you just talk, try and talk him out of him. By the way, you can't talk him out of anything. Because he's always right. <clears throat> but you, you ignore him. And what happens is, you know, when you fall in the pitfalls and you, you don't obey, you're living a Christian life that is really not a Christian life. It's the best you can produce in the flesh. And you know what? It stinks. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, God says. The best you can bring to the table is rubbish. But when you come to the table broken and in need, what God does is anything but rubbish. It's wonderful. But you see, do you see why obedience is so important? Do you see why a high standard is so important? If you drop the standard, you lose the reason for grace. You lose the supernatural. You lose the reality of Christianity. That's why God's standard is way up there. But he doesn't want you to look at the standard and cry because you can't make it. He wants to lift you up to the standard. And he does. Always. All right, any questions? Anthony. Well, I spoke, we always have a choice. Uh, always. Well, here's what I think happens for us. If we're saying no to the Holy Spirit and no to the Holy Spirit and no to the Holy Spirit, we're getting hard of hearing. What's happening is he's still there, but we're getting hard of hearing. We're not hearing him. You know, so it's kind of the more you tune your ear to something. You listen, if you're listening to a room full of people talking, you can't hear anything. But when you focus in and tune in on one person speaking... You can hear them talking. And the problem for us is we've got to, we've got to, we've got to be listening for the Holy Spirit. That, that, we're, we're responsible for that, to be listening. 
for the Holy Spirit. If we're not listening for him, we won't hear from him. And <clears throat> we can just plow along without getting it done. Right? <clears throat> so, But he always speaks, but we're not always in a place to hear. And the thing is, get right, get in the place to hear again. Right? <clears throat> Anybody else? Connor? Do his ministry? Well, no. Sometimes he ministered way into the night. And sometimes he prayed through the night. But it wasn't always in the day. Okay, is, is there a reason why you're asking that question? Well, he, he went out a great while before the day. He went out to pray, to a desert place to pray. To talk to, the, to his father. Okay? Anybody else? Folks, this is good stuff. This is helpful stuff if we'll take it as helpful stuff. It's not a burden. Obeying God is not a burden. Obeying God is the privileged blessing of the child of God because nobody else can do it except you. But by the power of his spirit, you can do it. It's a privilege and a blessing. It is a sweet thing to look to him and to see him enable you to do it. And the thing about it is, it's kind of like flying. You know, it looks impossible, but once you're doing it, that's amazing. You know, remember, remember you start riding a bike first. You, know, you start riding a bike and you look, at the, you look at the bicycle. I mean, there's no way you're going to stay up on that. And true enough, a few times you fall off. And then all of a sudden you begin, and you don't know why. You don't really understand why it is that the motion actually keeps you upright in it, but it works. What happens is when we, when we yield to the Holy Spirit and let him have his way in our lives, what we find is there's a dynamic in there that's beyond anything we imagined. That he's actually keeping us upright, you know, <clears throat> even though uh, it seems impossible to us. And the more you do it, the more real it gets, you know, the more of a blessing it gets to be. But Christianity is not about you making it happen. Christianity is about <coughs> you trusting that you need to obey. And setting out by his power to do it. And it works. All right, that's a word of prayer. <clears throat> we'll go to our prayer time. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for your word. Lord, would you uh, bless and help us now, Lord, as we look to it. And Lord, may we obey you and may we know the sweet joy and the blessing, Lord, of walking with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat>